Welcome to Shekinah International Podcast. Our ministry reflects the five-fold ministry model Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Our podcast features leaders from multiple churches who are passionate about equipping Christians just like you to walk in purity and power, fulfilling your God-given purpose. God wants to do great exploits through you, so enjoy today's podcast. I had it in my head that not many people, believers, have a a grid or a framework to put uh, events of the end times into. So, uh, the last time I was here, we talked about the questions, what is God doing? Why is he doing it? Where are we in the end time timeline of events? And how does he expect us to respond? Okay, if you remember that part. And I said, uh, in Matthew 24, he, he mentioned how uh, we are to respond in a, we're to respond by guarding our hearts against deception and fear. And we are also to um, watch and pray. Those are the instructions he gave us. Now watch and pray has a defensive mode to it, meaning we need to guard our hearts that we're not taken by deception and fear. But it also has a, an offensive side to it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The offensive side is the end time prayer movement. He doesn't just ex- expect that we're going to hang on and hide out till he whisks us away. He's got plans for his church, for his bride to develop, be part of his administration. Because his kingdom is coming, that's what's happening. Getting close to the end of this age and the approach of his kingdom coming. And he said it's going to be a time of turmoil that the earth has never experienced before. Um, so we do need to guard our hearts, but he also has plans for us to go on the offensive. Yeah. And it's the end time prayer movement or end time prayer ministry that is what we're going to talk about today. So does anybody have questions or comments about part one that I can answer the question? If you remember part one. What? Okay. Um, well, anyway, part one ended with what I just talked about. How does he want us to respond? To guard our hearts and to watch and pray. Uh, but he also has a plan to uh, make us a prayer army so that he said the gates of hell will not prevail right. against us. That's exactly right. So that to me sounds like we're going to go marching yeah. <laughs> up to the gates of hell. Yeah. Okay, so I really don't expect you to connect too much with what I'm going to say today. Um, but just it's, I'm putting it out there for you to have an idea that God has a plan for us. Yes. We're not just to be confused and wonder what's going on. And, uh, but he has something for us to participate in. Now, the end time prayer ministry is already underway, but it's in infancy right now. Um, As far as I know, it began a little over 20 years ago with Mike Bickle and the group in Kansas City. Although I know that for decades before that, the South Koreans, hundreds of thousands of South Koreans were praying, and and I don't know who else was praying around the world. But they weren't praying um, 
in the spirit of the tabernacle of David. Their prayers were effective and are still effective, but they weren't praying in, in the spirit of the tabernacle of David, which is what God is going to restore. Okay, so am I already on page two? Good, let's say I am. <laughs> All right, what is the end time prayer ministry? Um, before I do that, go to the last Roman numeral three. It's the last thing on the handout. And this is a summary of where we're going today. So let's just get that started. Are you there? Okay, five points, A, B, C, D, and E. The church's ultimate destiny and identity is a house of prayer. Point B, the church's perspective of ministry is a bridal paradigm or a bridal perspective of things. And that means that where the ministry in the end times is going to be in the framework of a bridegroom and a bride. The God, Jesus being our bridegroom and us being his bride. In the bonds of love, we're going to be involved in the, in the ministry with the Lord. Uh, number C, letter C, intercession is the means by which God rules the universe. D, unceasing corporate agreement with God will overcome continuous accusations of Satan. Amen. Revelations 12, 10, I think it says, that he accuses us day and night. So we've got to accept that challenge and um, likewise be unceasing in our um, agreement with the Lord. And the last point, letter E, the church bride of Christ is called and destined to come into agreement with heaven. That's a breathtaking little idea. <laughs> okay, actually these aren't little ideas, these are really big ideas. So that's why I don't expect you to uh, be too connected to them at this point. Uh, I know you're in different places. Stephanie says you're a little orient oriented to this. But these are big ideas. And uh, this is where we're going. We're not there yet. There's only a little portion of the body of Christ who is experiencing this right now. And you really can't, I don't think you can really uh, grasp what this is all about until you experience it somehow. The only place I know for sure, you can do that. There are other places in the U.S., but the only place I know you can do that for sure is Kansas City, the International House of Prayer, because they've been pioneering it for a little over 20 years. You can hang around Dan, and uh, he can teach you as well, because he's been pioneering it for about 20-some years, ever since the beginning. This region, right. Right here. Okay, let's look at letter A. The church's true and ultimate identity is a house of prayer. I also don't know how far we're going to get today in this. So that's why I try to put it out there in notes that you can take and, and look at later and study. So the Lord said in Isaiah 56 that the day would come when he would bring all peoples around the world into his house of prayer and make corporate prayer a very enjoyable activity for them. That's what you're looking at. Jesus referenced this verse in Matthew 21. He said it was the only time he gave us, or it was the only time he gave his church a name. He called his church a house of prayer or his household a house of prayer. In his mind, that's what his family is created and destined to become in maturity. Okay, and I put those scriptures there. Um, number one, 
The Lord Jesus gave his life so that the members of his royal family would become kings and priests with access to the universe of the Father's heart. Revelations 5.10 Prayer is the Father's means of communicating with his family and also administering his resources into the natural world. His royal sons and daughters are the stewards of his vast assets. Because he is very jealous for a relationship with us, he waits for us to ask him for these resources. Matthew 7 says, Ask and it shall be given to you. How much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Okay, so he wants that relationship. He's not stingy, uh, but he is wise, and there is a certain time for certain things to be released, but he wants us to ask. Number two, a house of prayer is the church's highest identity. If you have questions, by the way, jot them down, because we're not going to do it till the end, right? Okay. A house of prayer is the church's highest identity and is also her ultimate identity. Since she has only just begun learning how to function as one, how many saw the movie uh, The Gladiator? Yes. Okay, as one. <laughs> okay, as one. In corporate prayer, the end time prayer ministry is that for which and through which the church is to come into the unity, intimacy, and maturity, the Apostle Paul said would mark the last generation of believers in this age, or the fullness generation. Ephesians 4.13 says, We'll need the five main ministries until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the experiential knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Letter three. When the church matures in this ministry as a house of prayer, the Lord will give her access to his most powerful weapons to use against his enemies, the truths that are contained in the book of Revelation. The church's development in the prayer room will bring her to the place in divine partnership where she, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, asks for the release in sequence of the seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments upon all the enemies of righteousness and love on the planet. This is similar to how Moses used, was used to release God's judgments upon the king and the land of Egypt. That's a big idea. But it's in the Bible. Let's look at this. Let's look at these scriptures. Oh, also, I stuck my pickle in there. Jesus will not come back until the church knows who she is and functions in light of it. Okay, so we're, we haven't reached maturity yet. But we're on our way. Did you get a handout, John? You're good. You're going to need it. <laughs> okay, so let's look at these two scriptures, one in Revelations, one in Psalms. And when he, this is Revelations 5, when he, Jesus, had taken the book, the four living creatures, the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals. So they have in their hands uh, a musical instrument and uh, the prayers of the saints, full bowls. I mean, there's come a time when the last prayer would be uttered. And these judgments will be released. Um, and these prayers began a long time ago. 
back with Adam and Eve. And they've been filling up these bowls. These are these must be some big dudes. Okay, now this scripture in Psalm. Um, if you have a Bible, it says, "Let the godly ones exult in glory. Let them sing for joy upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth, yeah. and a two-edged sword in their hand." Okay, that's high praises of God. That's the worship ministry. Two-edged sword is the sword of the spirit. It's also the sword of the word. That's right. Yeah. So they're singing God's word. Yeah. It says to execute the Lord's vengeance on the nations, to execute on them the judgment written or the judgment already written. This is back in David's time. This is an honor for all his godly ones. Now where is, I used to ask myself this question before I understood any of this. What is he talking about? Where is the judgment that's written? The judgment that's written is in Revelation. These are the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. And this is an honor for the godly ones to be joined with the Lord in releasing these judgments, just like Moses and Aaron were used of the Lord to release the judgments upon Egypt. Okay, letter B. The church's perspective of anti-ministry is a bridal paradise. The wonder of God is that his heart's desire is to have a deep, personal, intimate relationship with each and every one of his children. I mean, this is, this is his heart's desire. Not just to be God, be up there on the throne, have control of everything. Even though he's friendly, he wants his heart's desire is to have intimate communion with each one of us. And one of the ways he expresses it in the scripture is by this bridegroom and bride uh, analogy. It's actually not an analogy, it's a reality. <laughs> okay, this thread of divine desire is woven all through the Old and New Testaments. One such thread is Isaiah 62, 5, where he reveals the delight he has in his people is that of a bridegroom for his bride. So you just have to pause and think what, what that would be like. How much joy does the bridegroom have with his bride? I remember, this is, by the way, this is one of those uh, rabbit trails I can't keep away from. Yeah, all good. Uh, when I married my wife, Char, the day we were married, as we were leaving the ceremony and going down the aisle, you know, I had this, smile that went from ear to ear. First time I remember ever having that happen. And my face hurt because I, I had never smiled that big or for that long before. And I just remember walking down the aisle thinking, my face hurts. But I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. Okay, so number two. When Jesus was introduced in the New Testament by John the Baptist, John referred to Jesus as the bridegroom and to himself as the friend of the bridegroom. Okay, and I put the scripture there. Uh, number three, Jesus likened himself to a bridegroom. See, I wasn't aware of this thread until yeah. I became aware of this thread. Yeah, God is really making a statement here. Yeah, so good. Yeah, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands, oops, that was John the Baptist. Let's go to three. And Jesus said to them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. Can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away, and then they will fast. Okay, number four, 
Jesus said his kingdom would be compared to a wedding, implying that the bride would see her bridegroom as he is and his kingdom through his eyes. Okay, so he said in, uh, did I? I didn't put the, that's Matthew 13, no, it's not. It's in Matthew someplace. I think it might be 22. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Okay, letter five. Number five. <laughs> Jesus described the ministry of the kingdom as those encountering him as a bridegroom. Then, meaning his second coming, the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps, meaning their ministries, and went out to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil, no cultivation of their secret life with the Lord. That's what the oil stands for. So the way I understand that is they took their soulish inertia, but that wasn't enough to sustain them. They took what they what they had, but not what the Holy Spirit was giving them. So they were dry in that respect. Okay, number six, the bridegroom message is a call to active intimacy with God. The New Testament reveals two unique positions of privilege before God for believers. As sons of God, we are positioned to experience God's throne, his authority, and his power. And as the bride of Christ, we have intimate access to God's heart, his emotions, and his desire for us. Neither of these privileges depend upon our gender, but are available to all It's amazing that we have access to God's heart. Uh, but it's not just out there. It has to be searched out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, say that one. That's yeah. a really good word. It's there. But it's only for those who want to find it. You know, if one time when I was a young believer, uh, he put it to me, what if... What if in your backyard you knew you had a million dollars buried? You knew it was there. There's no doubt. Wouldn't you spend some time every day going out there and digging around? <laughs> That's right. So, he's available but only for those who want to find him. Seek and you will find Okay, then letter seven. The crux of the spiritual battle in the last days will be over the truth of who Jesus is. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Because there's going to be imposters and a main imposter coming on the scene. His enemies seek to marginalize him, discredit him, and vilify him on the world stage. The end time prayer ministry is all about his lovesick church bride defending his great name and honor before people on earth and in the courtroom of heaven before his cosmic accusers and their false accusations. Yeah, come on, say that. Well, I said that. That's so sharp. That's so good. I saw when you said that, I saw so sharp. Okay, well, then there's a scripture, 1 Timothy 3.15. I write to you so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the pillar and the support of the truth. So. Yes. I, when I read that, pillar and support, I view these, these temples, you know, in Greece and in the Middle East, the pillars and the support, and uh, 
And that's what we are. We are the temple of God. Okay, and number eight, the conclusion of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, unveils the church as the bride of Christ. She has the anointing of the Holy Spirit resting on her and moving through her as she cries out for her bridegroom to come. Come near me in intimacy. Come to me in revival. Come for me in the second coming. Okay. Letter C, we're going on. The church is intercession. I'm just kind of moving through this. No, you're fine. Just be you. Just be you. So, did you read this over carefully before? I did. Excellent. Awesome. Excellent. All right. So, the church is intercession. What is worship? These are definitions from. Mike Bickle that he put out years ago. Worship is essentially our agreement with who God is. Intercession is our agreement with what God has said he will do. Whether it's, you know, in the logos or whether he speaks to us in a rhema, our intercession is what he tells us to do. The principle of intercession is that God has chosen intercession as his primary means to release his power into the earth and to administrate his government on earth. That's right. The Father employs intercession through his Son and his family in this age and in the millennial age and throughout the eternal ages to come. That's a big thought. I didn't know that. I didn't know our prayers had such shelf life. <laughs> Some of the prayers we're praying now won't be answered till the kingdom comes. Okay, what is the majesty of intercession? Jesus, as the Word of God, created the heavens and the earth by speaking the desires and plans of the Father's heart into existence. He continues to intercede to govern the world in this age. Soon, when he returns to earth, he will issue decrees, which is intercession, from the Father to administrate his millennial kingdom. The majesty of it all is that we get to participate with him in it. Amen. He could do it all by himself. But he's, he wants to for us to be part of it. You know, I think when... Uh, Queen Esther, who was her husband? Who? Okay, twice he says to her, up to half the kingdom I'll give you. So I don't know if she took him up on that or not, but the point is he wanted to share his kingdom equally with her. And uh, that speaks of the Lord's heart for us. Okay, number three, the mystery of intercession. Simply said, the principle of intercession is to tell God what he tells us to tell him. <laughs> That's right. Sounds pretty childlike, right? Yeah, come on. That's right. Okay, but look at it. It is so profound in its simplicity, accessibility, and humility because anyone can do it. Yeah, come on. Children. Yeah, come on. That's right. Can do it. Yeah. It draws us. Here's what happens. It draws us into intimacy with God's heart. It unifies us within His family. It transforms our thinking. It trains. So you know, we begin to think like He thinks. That's it trains us to function in his government in partnership with Jesus and it protects us in humility. You know, we don't have to come up with the big ideas. He already has come up with them and he's willing for us to ask and participate with him. God rules the universe through his people interacting with his heart. It is training for reigning. 
Number four, the governmental center of the universe is the prayer ministry. After King David received a revelation of the heavenly throne room, or the divine governmental headquarters of the universe, David saw this. He established 24-7 worship and intercession as the center of his reign in Israel. This tabernacle of David, you know, I had heard about the tabernacle of Moses and the temple of Solomon, but this was a really new idea to me some years ago. Tabernacle of David, that's in the Bible? David set up a tent in his backyard. It's where he meditated on the Lord, received wisdom for ruling, and direct, direction for defeating his enemies. And then there's that scripture in Psalm 27. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the, of the Lord all the days of my life. In other words, I want to be in that tent with him. To behold the beauty of the Lord, and to meditate in his temple. At the conclusion in verse 6, he says, And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies round about me. Pretty neat. Number five, likewise, the prayer room in any given locality in the earth today, there's not, there's not a lot of them, but there are some, is to be the center for the church, the ecclesia, to worship and to intercede. The keys of the kingdom have been given to her, and she must learn to corporately use, use them to restrain or to inhibit some of, what, some of the rage of Satan and to release the things that the Lord wants to release into the world. Okay, I'm done. No, that's so good. That, I'm just that's a, that's so good. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, letter D now. The church's unceasing day and night agreement ministry. Another name for the end-time prayer ministry or the end-time worship movement is the end-time agreement ministry. Yeah. You know, this is all we have to do. That's right. we, we just have to come into agreement with God mm -hmm. and with one another in God. It is, as has been said, worship is agreement with who God is. Intercession is agreement with what God has said he will do. Since Satan's accusations against God and the church are unceasing, to counteract his day and night onslaught of lies, the saints must proclaim the truth in agreement with God in a non-stop fashion as well. In the prayer room. So the battle is cast as the agreement ministry of the saints versus the, what I call the I searched a long time to find this phrase. Mm -hmm. Accusation polemic of Satan. Because I want to say the, the accusation ministry of Satan. Okay, there's, these two ministries are going to clash. Polemic is the big, only big word I've learned this month. So, the darkness which has prevailed over the earth since the fall of Adam and Eve must be continuously encountered with the light of truth to change the spiritual atmosphere. So this, the spiritual atmosphere can be changed. The spiritual atmosphere can, over a city, over an area, can be changed. But it takes, what does it take for that to happen? the anti-agreement ministry of the saints. But it can't happen. If there can be strongholds of darkness, there can be strongholds of light. David and Solomon had 30 years of, of shalom, of peace, uh, of the blessing of the Lord um, as a result of this prayer ministry which they had. Okay, then, well, am I already there? Letter E. Well, 
might be a goose. The church's agreement with heaven. Okay, here's the capstone. Another aspect of the church's agreement ministry is the musical component. Jesus taught the church to ask the Father for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as simple as that sounds, all we have to do is look in heaven. How is it done in heaven? Revelations 4 and 5 gives us, gives us the best picture of that. The Father's throne room is most clearly seen in Revelations 4. The sounds that proceed from the throne can be translated transcendent music. This is verse 5, Revelations 4. It reveals that the Father's heart is musical and he surrounds himself with melodious sounds continually. The atmosphere in the throne room is permeated with music and singing nonstop. Music, then, is an essential part of how he wants to be ministered to. This is a wonderful insight into his character and personality. You know, picture that. Picture some king on earth and what his throne room looks like. Okay, a big opera is going on all the time. That means he loves opera. <laughs> you know? And um, this is how he runs his universe. It's pretty... It's pretty awesome. You don't want me to sing. You don't want me to sing. You don't invite Dan to step with me. <laughs> okay, so I put... So, okay, um, Revelation 12.10, For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. Okay, so he's, he, we know he's doing that. But he's accusing God to us as well, like he did to Adam and Eve. He's accusing us to one another yes, to bring mistrust and suspicion and yes. doubt. And he, he accuses us to ourselves try to bring in condemnation and guilt. So this is going, this is the atmosphere we live in. And God is going to change it. Um, in some places in the earth, you know, there's going to be what my people call cities of refuge. Or centers where the atmosphere has changed. And um, Instead of being out in the dark and out and being in this um, atmosphere of negativity, just use that word, um, we can be brought into a whole different atmosphere of God. Okay, um, Luke 18, verse 7, the last verse there. Now shall not God bring about justice for his elect who cry out to him day and night. Okay, so justice will come as we cry out to him unceasingly. What is justice? Psalm 89, 14 says, this, this isn't on your, uh, on your notes. This is thrown in there. The foundation of God's throne is righteousness and justice. Well, justice is wrong things made right. Okay, so it's actually the foundation of God's throne is righteousness and righteousness. Because justice is making wrong things righteous again. Okay, so in Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4, it says the Redeemer, the Savior, the Messiah that the Father is going to bring will not stop until he establishes justice on the earth. Yes. This was a new thought to me that salvation and healing and deliverance is God's justice over um, 
un unbelieving unbelievers that are held in captivity. Healing is God's justice over sickness and disease. Deliverance is God's justice over being held captive by the enemy. Yeah. This is so. These are the things we're crying out. So, as the church in the prayer room matures in this, we can expect to see more salvation, yes. healing, deliverance, justice on the earth. All right. Um, Okay, I backtracked, didn't I? Where am I? Page seven. Are you on page seven? Yes. yes. Okay, but you, you have a different layout than I do. Um, I'm going to start, see if you can find me. I'm going to start with this paragraph. Throughout the book of Revelation, Worship and intercession of the seraphim elders, the angels, and the multitudes is a heavenly opera being performed continuously. Everything done is done in great drama, passion, and joy with singing and symphonic orchestration. Even the release of divine judgments are done to music. Now this is, it just shows how in control, how confident, how big God is. Let's look at this scripture. You will have songs in the night when you keep the festival, as when you keep the festival, and gladness of heart as when one marches to the sound of the flute, to go to the mountain of the Lord, to the rock of Israel. And the Lord will cause his voice of authority to be heard and the descending of his arm to be seen in fierce anger and in flame of a consuming fire and cloudburst downpour and hailstones. For at the voice of the Lord, Assyria will be terrified when he strikes with the rod, and every blow of the rod of punishment which the Lord will lay on him will be with the music of tambourines and lyres. So, when Jehoshaphat went out against the Assyrians, the singers and musicians went out ahead. Okay, there's some faith. Um, and what happened? The angels destroyed all of them. Okay, so this is how big and confident God is. Our, our faith, our trust in God is our gift to him. He says, this is who I am. And, but we have to believe that. We have to hold on to that. And that's why it, that constitutes our gift back to him. Because he can't find that in everyone. All right. Stephanie, am I okay? I'm almost done. Okay, so now we talked about King David. He saw the throne room scene of Revelation 4 or something similar to it, and he set about replicating it on earth as he saw it patterned in heaven. He hired 4,000 musicians, 288 singers, plus 4,000 attendants full-time, to minister to the God of Israel 24-7 for the rest of his reign in Jerusalem. In this way, he brought his kingdom into agreement with heaven. In today's money, David gave over $100 billion for his son Solomon to build the temple with the same musical ministry, continuing for another 40 years. And so I'll put the scriptures down there for you to um, look up if you want to verify what I just said there. The prophet Amos, about 750 BC, so that's 2,700 plus years ago, prophesied of the restoration of David's tabernacle in our day. The fullness of the tabernacle of David speaks of Jesus' millennial government based on 24-7 Davidic worship. Okay, so it's gonna go on 
forever. Okay, and then number three, singing and music are the final components of the agreement ministry that will synchronize the church within herself, with God, the Holy Spirit, and with the heavenly worship and intercession ministry. Music universally speaks to the human heart and directly affects it by passing the mind. You know, um, you strumming that guitar today put that music into this room and none of us could get away from it. All we could do really is to agree with it, to come into sync with it. Bypasses the mind, all it takes is a little bit. And it starts bringing uh, the room into unity. Well, singing engages the whole person, body, soul, and spirit immediately resulting in a wholehearted, passionate response. This is what the Lord is looking for. Singing the truths of God's Word is an exercise designed by God to unlock the human heart the way nothing else can. Corporate song and melody make prayer more enjoyable, more sustainable, and exponentially more powerful. The, so the government of heaven has going on in the throne room of heaven uh, music and singing, which is un, unceasing, is done antiphonally or responsibly, if you know what that is. You know what that is? Okay. Um, it means singing back and forth in in you know one choir singing to the other or this person saying this and others singing it back so um it's enjoyable it unifies um you can go on a long time praying that way <laughs> it's the proclamation of truth and the exaltation of god the worship and intercession mix that's going on which god is bringing us into Okay, there it is. We're done. I, I, I think, uh, listening to Mike Bickle, I've listened to him a lot. And uh, it reminds me of getting into a New York City taxi cab. <laughs> you turn Mike on and he takes off. It's funny. And when he gets to the end, he says, okay, let's pray. <laughs> you stop and you pray. So that's what it's like. Uh, sure. Lord, we thank you. You want me to go? Yes, please. We thank you for what you're doing with us. We thank you that we could hear your word today. Help us to receive your word, to begin to understand it and most importantly, to begin to implement it in our area. For you desire to build, as you showed me, another World Trade Center here in Lansing, where people will trade the world for the kingdom. And we need a prayer room. We need a, the saints ministering in, in love and unity and music and singing together proclaiming your word to help bring that about. So thank you for each one here today and for the blessing of the Holy Spirit, for the ministry of worship. In Jesus' name, for his sake we pray. Amen. 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 You got to do your thing now. Yeah, can we thank God for Mark? Isn't he fun? <laughs> for God, sitting over there She said, he is so she just loves you. She's like, he is so cute. Yeah, adorable was a woman. Well, today, that's a compliment, darling. She's a good-looking girl. I'm just so encouraged by uh, what he shared today because he's right. That really is what it's all about. We hear Jesus said, um, the reason my Father loves me, no one takes me away from me, but I lay it down to my own accord, that this is the reason my Father loves me. 
scripture tells us that Jesus said he only says what the Father says to say, just like Mark was talking about, the childlike faith. He hears something, right? And he just says that thing, or he sees something, and he does that thing, right? And only say what I hear the Father say, and only do what I see the Father do. So even the Son of God, even Jesus Christ himself, operates in within the Trinity in that same manner. God himself is in a response mode, as Mark was talking about. And it makes it, just like you were saying, so simple. I love what you said about humility. That it keeps us in that place of humility because it requires us to be childlike at heart. Always listening, always attentive, always bent forward, always leaning in, desiring to hear. And that's why we spend two hours here at Shekinah in worship. Because we're leaning into listening. What's he saying? And then we want to create a corporate experience. And for this to become normative, we were talking about the ecclesia. Um, there are prayer rooms for sure, but just like you said earlier, we are the new tabernacle, amen? The corporate church is the new tabernacle. So everywhere, two or three are gathered in his name, you have a prayer room. You have a prayer room. You have an ecclesia gathered. You have a people, a reigning ones, a reigning majority. We're connected to the throne room of heaven. And all we need to do is humble ourselves and hear and speak and see what he wants us to do and do that very thing. And atmospheres change. I want to testify because we're talking about cities of refuge. I had someone, a friend of mine, tell me recently that their friend came back to Lansing and they've been gone 10 years. And they said to them, Lansing is so different. When I come into the city now, I feel joy. I feel love. I feel peace. He said, something has changed here. Can anybody say amen? But I just want to honor Dan Boucher in our midst here. He's been pioneering in that as well for years. To see the capital city atmosphere shift. We've got the furnace in the prayer room. We've got Mount Hope who's doing prayer 24-7 Trinity Church on the doors of their church. It says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That's the very first that united them and brought them together. We've got little ecclesias like AP teams and others who gather on a regular basis and say, Daddy, what are you saying? I want to say that thing. Daddy, what are you doing? I want to do that thing. And it's just like we did that here in worship today. We were releasing sound. I love what you said, too, about the unity. Once the music component is released, that's a new thing I'm going to use in Kabul. Once the sound is released, everyone unifies around the sound. I'm going to receive that as a prophetic word and a prophetic act. That when, as soon as the sound, the first sound is released, we are in unity in Jesus' name. Did that edify you? Did that build you up? That strengthened me today. We talk here a lot about activation. It's so good to hear such a rich sermon of the word. We were kind of flying through that, right? So if you aren't familiar with those terms, you're going to be like, whoa, fire hose. That's okay. Just let it wash through you like a basket. Receive what you can receive. Chew on what you need to chew on. You've got the notes there. You can go back and look that over. When we talk about activation, the activation is the process of making something active, or like Mark was talking about, operative. Why does it have to be operative? Because we need to be on that offensive. And when we leave this room, we want you to be sent in the power of God. We don't just have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, right? But love what? Love edifies. It builds up. So when it shifts from being just knowledge, now I know a new thing too. How can I apply this in my life? How can I walk this out? Like I was talking about with the sound piece. That was a revelation for me. As soon as the sound is released, we're in unity. I'm going to use that now in my meetings, in my corporate meetings here in this region. When that sound, that musical noise released, it shifts the room in unity. It already is. I can come into agreement with that reality. Okay? We talk about activation, we talk about revelation. Revelation brings responsibility. He released a beautiful word today. And now we are responsible to say, Daddy, what portion of that word are you speaking to my heart? And do you want me to walk away with that you want me to make operative in my life? How do you want me to go on the offensive for you based on what you shared today through our brother? Revelation brings responsibility. Turn your neighbor and say, Now you know. You gotta go. 
right. We talk about the fact that the spiritual gifts can be caught or taught. Like Mark is a fantastic teacher. Did you see how detailed his notes was? He's probably the gift of a teacher. He has a heart of a pastor. He's the gift of a teacher. Those detailed scriptures, those detailed notes, that detailed outline was beautiful. So it can be taught to you line by line, precept by precept, right? It was beautifully done today. You experienced that. It can be caught. Like as Ken explained this song, as we were worshiping earlier, hearing the lyrics from heaven and the scriptures, he wanted us to sing. Like Mark was talking about, we were catching that. We were just like, whoa, yes. I don't even know how he moved in and threw me in that minute, but something shifted and I'm different. Right? And it can be activated by faith, which is what we're going to do today. We hear and we just say a thing in the song. talking about agreement ministry. I am in agreement with what you're doing. Let it be so in me, Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to do right now. As we activate right now, activate your faith. As you partner with the Lord, right? And He activates your faith. That revelation can come through all five senses. You can see a thing in your mind's eye. Okay? We're talking spiritual senses here. You can sense or feel it being hot, cold, odd, sick to your stomach, strong. I don't know what that might be. You can know a thing in your knower, all right? You can taste something, literally. I taste something sweet. I taste something bitter, okay? It comes to all five senses. You can hear something in your spirit, man, right? You can hear a word. You can hear a song like we did during worship. You can hear a prophetic word, okay? And we talk about this all the time because this is where I think we as the ecclesia sometimes miss it. We go up and we hold this and we see, hear, taste, smell, sense a thing. But we don't, sometimes we forget to take the opportunity to say, Holy Spirit, what is this, right? Sometimes we assume, because I encountered this before, because I experienced this before, because I know this scripture, this is what this means. And sometimes it's true. Sometimes we do know in our knower, right? We already know. That's why God's speaking to us that way. But I, I always, I always, am, I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm still learning. Always way more blessed when I say, Holy Spirit, what is this? I don't assume that I know what it means. What is this? Right? I see fire, but what is this? Maybe God wants to say, That is my presence. That is my boldness. That is my strength. That is my refining power. What is this in this moment? What is that thing you're showing me that I'm sensing, that I'm feeling, that you're speaking to me? What is it? And then number two, Interpretation is key. We ask, what is this? And we ask, what do you want me to do with that? How do you want me to apply this to my life? Okay? So it's Camille speaking to sing a song here. We're just going to flow a little bit more. We want to behold his beauty. And whatever he shows you, says to you, sense you feel, take a moment to say, Daddy, Holy Spirit, what is this that you want to do in my life based on what Mark shared today?
Excite you, watch for our new and God inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled Listener Support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you, we love you, have a blessed day.